Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast, the final podcast for the year 2015. And here with us to wrap up the year, you know the major award from the movie The Christmas Story. He's apparently a major loser, Bill Crystal of the thanks. Weekly Standard. Yeah, thanks, Michael, for that very kind introduction. Well, you know, that's what Donald Trump called me that. I was honored on Tuesday night. Uh, not just a loser. You know, he's got, there are a lot of losers in Trump's eyes. Right. But to be a major loser, that's, that's something, huh? Exactly, exactly, like the major award. And uh, apparently you're afraid to go out, is that right? Yeah, Trump because... said, Trump said, I guess he's asked about my comments, sort of half-joking comments mm-hmm. about how I'd be starting a third party if he got the Republican nomination, which I don't actually expect. But maybe it got under his skin a little. He called me a major loser, went on about how horrible the magazine is, and then said I've lost all self He's lost all self-respect. He's very embarrassed to even walk down the street. <laughs> I don't really know how Trump knows that. I mean, you know, uh, he's like he's he's, he's he's got someone watching our house here and and the office building in D.C. and making sure see what see what I look like when I walk right. down the street. But I do want to reassure people I'm I'm walking down the street, the mean streets of Washington <laughs> D.C. in McLean, Virginia. My head held high, held high. I'm not too embarrassed. I've been a little bit wrong in a couple of predictions on Donald Trump. I'd be the mm-hmm. first to admit that, but. Uh, my self-respect uh, is as intact as it's ever been. Well, it's it's one of his classic non-sequitur insults. Remember he told our friend Jonah Gold, said of Jonah Goldberg, he, the guy can't even buy pants. And I'm like, well, of all the things you would <laughs> mention about but somebody. It's clever, right? Because it's just, I was thinking about this because, you know, of course, when I heard about it, people right. emailed and, you know, tweeted. And I thought, well, is there, do I have a witty response? And actually, it's very hard to have a witty response. <laughs> and, that's, and it's hard. <laughs> I did, and really didn't respond at all. But, I mean, you know, you sound defensive exactly. or like, well, what are we supposed to say? Well, I'm not embarrassed to walk down the street. You know, <laughs> I do have respect. I mean, it's, you sound like an idiot. So he's actually kind of clever in these juvenile junior high school insults right. in the sense that, you, you, you know, if you bother answering, you sort of end up in a, a semi-legitimizing original complaint. He's, he's given this a lot of thought, obviously, over the decades. It's true of his insults at his fellow, you know, presidential candidates. They're very effective, partly because they sometimes are true, you know, half true, but mostly because it's just, how do you even answer when someone says you're low energy, or what do you say, Rand Paul's funny looking, or I mean, right. they're, they're, they're so ju- juvenile in junior high that you don't even know what to do about them. Either. And yet they dominated the year of 2015. And I, I and I think it's kind of prima facie this is the year of Trump. Would we agree on that, yeah. Bill? So I want to move, I want to broaden it out and put Trump in a bigger perspective. What would you say if I said that this was the year of the non sequitur, that you had real live problems happening? And for example, the Republican Party, this real live opportunity to turn back eight years of Obama. And suddenly we're in this bizarre conversation about should this multimillionaire, you know, reality show guy be the president? How is that even the conversation? President Obama says we've got ISIS right where we want them. You know, it's, it's Hillary Clinton says this is this is the strategy is right. And meanwhile, ISIS has been you know taking over country uh, area size of Belgium. Al Qaeda is stronger than it's probably ever been ever, including before 9-11. The Taliban's about to take Afghanistan back as soon as we leave. And you're like, where, why aren't we talking? Talking about this thing, the uh, President of the United States is caught using the NSA to spy on the head of Israel and members of Congress. And the conversation about the NSA is, you know, should Michael Graham's visits to Nancy's and her naughty nurses dot net be reviewed by the government? Why it is an uh, it's 2015 has been one of the oddest years in my adult memory. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And I, I mean, part of it must be. I think liberals don't want to talk about reality because reality has been bad for them. They've mm-hmm. been running the country for seven years, and uh, what do they have to show for it? And I do think that is a, they're, they're deeply, therefore, into. Like, here's another example, right? Let's have a lot of college students complaining and about their oppression, the tr- trigger warnings, microaggression, how miserable they are on campus. I mean, has there ever been a 
cushier place to be than on the current American campus? Has any generation been coddled as much as upper middle class kids of this, uh, who are 20 years old today? Is, is anyone bending over back? Is any is the world ever bent over backwards more not to offend anyone? And yet they they're like they've actually stirred up quite a lot of activity right with this ludicrous claim. It's not even, you know, right. in the late 60s, there were actual issues they were upset about. Now, their remedies were wrong, and they did a lot of damage, but there was really a war going on in Vietnam. There was really Richard Nixon as president. There were things they were, they were really were old-fashioned colleges and universities that they wanted to change a lot. Now we've got left-wing colleges and universities, Barack Obama's president, their policies being followed by everyone from the Supreme Court on same-sex marriage to the Obama administration. Uh, and they're having a fit. So you're right, there's another example of sort of a bizarre non-sequitur. So I think on the left, maybe they don't want to face reality. Well, not maybe, they don't want to face reality. The interesting question is the Republicans and conservatives, the degree of, of not wanting to really face reality and have a serious debate. And there have been glimpses of it at times, your Cruz would be on foreign policy. Those are two cohe- reasonably coherent, I would say, foreign policy views that aren't as far apart as they each pretend. But there are different ways of addressing uh, America's uh, weakness, and I think you could actually end up you know, reconciling the two pretty easily. But that's been sort of a glimmer of a real debate, but it's been somewhat lost in the sea of, of, of kind of nonsense on the Republican and conservative side, too, maybe because it's hard. You know, I mean, actually dealing with these issues, the ones you mentioned, would require you know, really talking about the defense budget, really talking about whether we're going to send troops to difficult places and have them do difficult things, really discuss, you know, in the case of the colleges and universities, how radically we should reform higher education. And you know, your basic Republican senator and governor, uh, or even conservative pundit, doesn't, you know, doesn't really want to engage those issues, it seems. It does seem that way. And I also think that when you look at the uh, distance between the issues, you also have this distance between the people. And that's one of the things that I think jumped out at me as I was thinking about this year. It really has been a year in Europe. You could argue in the Middle East that part of the you know, rise of uh, Islamist, uh, you know, action, insurgency, whatever you want to call it, that that's kind of been part of this too, that the people are going to be heard and, you know, a million migrants coming from North Africa into Europe, that decision was not met with the shrug and the European kind of, well, whatever, you know, Brussels is in charge, but with real, you know, uh, voter reaction. And here in the United States, you see it particularly for the Republicans, the Democrats for a lesser degree with Bernie Sanders, that the people are going to find a way to be heard. No, I think that's really right. And that made particularly, uh, made it particularly amusing when Time magazine, Perfect spokesman for the establishment, made Angela Merkel the her it's, it's person of the year, right. someone who's like been most out of touch with actual citizens of the major European nations or the minor ones too. So, no, I really think that's that is part of the phenomenon. A friend of mine, a good Noah Pollock, who works with me on the emergency security for Israel, runs it really. Came back from Israel just a couple of days ago and actually had met uh, the prime minister there in a, a very interesting sort of private meeting. We kind of, I guess, he wanted to he wanted to take 90 minutes off from dealing with all the insanity of Israeli domestic politics. But I asked Noah generally, both in the conversation with Netanyahu, but more broadly from spending a week in Israel, sort of what you know, what was his sense there? And he said, and he hadn't really expected this. He's been there many, many times. Uh, he said he, he was struck just by, it's like a real country. They're dealing with reality. They're not panicked. They've got some real challenges. People are getting stabbed on the streets of Jerusalem, you know, and, and they've got Iran's getting nuclear weapons and all this. And people are sober about that. They're also having a good time and, you know, taking their week off and Tel Aviv's a happening place and all this. And, and it's a very diverse country. And he was struck talking to political leaders and just, you know, sitting around cafes in Tel Aviv, sort of that it's, 
it's kind of a, it's a real country where people are dealing with life as it is, you know. And he said coming back here and uh, what we were just talking about, reading about Trump and about what's going on in college campuses, and it was sort of like we're living in some universe that is not really connected with with reality. You don't have to be incredibly sober and serious and solemn to be dealing with reality. The Israelis aren't, but you do need to sort of, uh, you know, kind of realize what's important and what's not. So let's go back one year. And by the way, January 26th edition of the Weekly Standard, the cover story was taking Ben Carson seriously. <laughs> so kudos to the Weekly Standard for that, because he certainly has been legitimate before. So, of course, then again, a couple weeks later, you wrote C. Scott Run, the Scott yeah. Walker <laughs> inevitability piece. Let's go back to Bill Crystal. This, uh, January 1st, 2015, if someone had walked up to you and said, Bill, one year from today, this is what will have happened, what would be the one holy moly story other than Donald Trump? Yeah, well, Trump's the obvious one. Exactly. Actually, McCormick's piece on Scott Walker it stands up pretty well and says that he was, you know, it was just a reporting piece. He didn't really make a, have an opinion, but it didn't express an opinion. But if you read it, you see some of the weaknesses of the Walker candidacy. I guess in the political world, don't you think Jeb? I mean, I do think I was always a Jeb. You and I were both Jeb Bush skeptics. Having said that, did we expect him to be at four percent? Did we expect his chances of making the final three or four to be less, in my opinion, than those of Christie or? Um, people forget. I mean, Rubio was very questionable. Would Rubio run? Remember, you know, because his, the governor, of his patron, the, the eight-year governor of his state, Florida, had announced all the money was going to Jeb. Maybe Rubio would take a pass this time. Uh, I do think, in retrospect, Rubio's running. Rubio's choosing to run. I this I did sense at the time was a very important moment. It sort of signaled to everyone, I, Marco Rubio, a young senator from his own, from Bush's state, am not intimidated by Jeb. And it generally kind of uh, sent a signal that, uh, uh, and kind of conveyed the impression that the Bush machine maybe wasn't what it was cracked up to be. Boy, that sure turned out to be the case. Uh, I think the biggest surprise would be that if I told you within this next year, uh, marriage is going to be redefined to include same-sex couples and uh, transgender lifestyle will be you know shoved into the mainstream and neither of those two will cause a political wave that you can even detect i think that would have been very surprising for me one year ago today no that's a good that's a good point and i want to come back the colleges and universities which i mentioned i don't think any of us i mean god knows i've been a critic of the colleges and universities and think mm -hmm. they've gone downhill and it's very important to educate young people outside the colleges and universities we've done some made some efforts and other uh, venues in that in that direction but if you had told me there'd be sort of widespread uh, demonstrations, and as I said before, it just seems so crazy. What are they complaining about? I mean, everything they, they, they've got, the colleges right. they want, and they're unhappy about them. Maybe there's a real lesson there. Maybe there's a real opportunity there, incidentally, for conservatives. Now, the most obvious story of 2015, the one you could see coming a mile away, what was it, Bill Crystal? Yeah, that's a good, that's a good question. I'm afraid it was the you know, collapse of U.S. power and prestige. Uh, throughout the world, but especially in the Middle East. I mean, the failure to stand up to Putin in 2014, that's not in the Middle East, but, but that had echoes in the Middle East. The failure, obviously, on the Syria red line in 2013, the withdrawal from Iraq, all of that culminated in the rise of ISIS, the Iran deal, and the just general sense around the world, but especially in the Middle East, that we were in retreat. I think it's sort of these things, Obama was so lucky that by late 2012, when he was running for re-election, you didn't really see the consequences of his foreign policy yet. You began to see them in 2013 as this killing in Syria intensified and spread. You really started to see them, obviously, in 2014. But 2015 was the year that it, it became visible to everyone, I'm afraid. And then, of course, the terror, and the terror attacks in Paris, both at the beginning of the year with Charlie Hebdo and then near the end of the year 
the broader, you know, the attack, the broader attack in Paris, and then, of course, San Bernardino. So I do think that was sort of the, the culmination of what we've all been fearing and, and, uh, and warning about here for, for several years. Well, I, I don't want to offend all of our non-Patriots fans listeners by saying the obvious uh, was yeah. that the Patriots would be the Super Bowl champions yet again. But um, I would be more specific, I think. I would say the collapse of the Iran deal or not class, but rather the the Iran deal mess. That is, that yeah. the Republicans would screw it up, <laughs> that the president right. would get this thing, whatever it is, the non-treaty treaty, and that Iran would already be violating in a manner that the Democrats have to deal with. And you and I on a, on a podcast weeks before the deal was done pointed out to every Democrat who was backing it and said, you've now made the mullahs your running mates in 2016. And how they could not see that is beyond me. Well, we'll see if they're ready to pay a price for it. One of the kind of crazy things about the Republican race for president so far is there's been relatively little discussion of Ron Farley because no one quite knows what to do until there's a new president. So, uh, But you're right, the, the Iranians are being more aggressive than ever in the region. They're chugging it. They're not coming clean. They never came clean on their previous military programs, et cetera. And it's not clear. I hope the Democrats pay a price, hope the administration pays a price. We were certainly right that the Republicans would screw up, screw it up if they went in the direction they did with that Corker bill, yeah. and then that uh, and then that the deal would not work in any you know the way at all, really. But nonetheless, it'll be an interesting test of the political. I think of the Republican Party whether they end up holding Hillary Clinton who supported that deal accountable. For me, that would be whoever the Republican nominee is. All that would, I mean, really, how hard is it going to be to win this election? You stand up on stage and say, you were Secretary of State for Barack Obama. Here's the world we're living mm-hmm. in, and here's the world we're heading towards if these policies aren't radically reversed. And you talk about ISIS, and you talk about Iran, and you talk about Putin. I mean, I just, I almost, uh, it would really be a great feat for the Republicans to lose this election, I think. Uh, well, if anyone can do it, <laughs> it's the American <laughs> exactly, Republican Party. Exactly. Uh, so the uh, uh, biggest hero of 2015 and the biggest failure or 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 donkey or whatever, uh, whatever phrase you want to use. I mean, uh, from a political point of view, I guess it's hard to hard to not say that Jeb Bush is the failure. I, was, I, I, I don't know who the hero. I, there's no one who leaps to mind. But you, you're, you're often you have or you've thought about these things more than mm-hmm. I have sometimes. And you. Maybe you know I would say, you know, I mentioned my friend Noah Pollack meeting with Prime Minister Netanyahu. I think Bibi Netanyahu really showed what leadership was this year. Right. Um, he came over here. He he knew it was going to be controversial and difficult. He made a pitch against the Iran deal, an eloquent one, and sustained that argument. He lost, but he also managed it in a way that he didn't ruin his relationship anymore than it was ruined with the Obama administration. He's obviously been careful since then and is busy making sure that Israel can defend itself as well as possible over the next year and is ready to deal with Obama. He, so he's kind of, quite, yeah, I think he was prudent in the way he, bold, but also prudent in the way he opposed it. He got himself reelected in a big surprise and increased his majority uh, or his plurality in the Knesset. has a very stable government he's presiding over. Uh, Israel's doing well despite all the challenges. So I, I think Netanyahu, you know, he's frustrated some people by being pretty cautious at times, but it's a pretty impressive political track record of political leadership, I would say. I, I got to give the biggest failure award to Scott Walker. I mean, yeah. I just, man, what an opportunity, what an opportunity set up and how much, and I, I, I include him because we don't need Jeb Bush. You know, Jeb is the 1990s right. candidate. We really could have used Scott Walker. Imagine if Scott Walker were one of the top tier candidates right now. Well, Michael, um, think of this. What if he hadn't gotten out? What if he had sort of, you know, radically sure. retrenched his campaign said, I'm just going to, I'm firing 70 of the 90 people mm-hmm. on my staff. I'm going to Iowa. I'm going to drive around in a rental, you know, exactly. van. Exactly. 
make my case. Wouldn't he now, incidentally, be a pretty plausible alternative to uh, Trump Chris Christie and, 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 and Rubio? And and I, I think he would be more plausible than Christie mm-hmm. Bush or Kasich at this point. I wonder if he's really uh, wondering whether right. he did the right thing in pulling out of the race. No, I, I agree completely. And uh, but uh, so that's why I, he gets my biggest failure. Word. Then the biggest hero, and I know this is going to surprise you, Bill, because I really don't think you're a loser, and I know that you walk out in public. I think the hero of 2015, and this says a lot about 2015, was Donald Trump. I mean, yeah. for all of the downside, and I have already pledged publicly that I will not, under any circumstances, cast a ballot of any kind, up to and including American Idol for Donald Trump, <laughs> the, there's a whole group of working-class uh, Americans who are not part of a special group, they're not part of the democratic uh, coalition of, I, of, you know, of identity politics, they're left out, they're largely white for obvious reasons, but um, th- there's just this group of people out there, and they have been ignored, and they have gotten the, the short end of the stick on the economy since the uh, uh, bubble burst on the tech you know, the tech bubble in 2000, their incomes are down, their prospects are lower, they're sending their kids to college at great debt only to have their kids come out and not get jobs. Uh, they're, you know, the, the fact is they've been told you have to redefine something as important to your culture as marriage, and you're not allowed to even have a different opinion. And they have largely taken it relatively quietly, no marching in the streets or, or, or a move to back you know, a candidate, a one-issue candidate on that issue. They've taken a lot. They've been humiliated a lot, whether you agree with them or disagree with them. And Donald Trump stood up as their champ or, or evolved or somehow became their champion. And I, I got to give him kudos for that as, as much as it pains me. No, I think that's I think that's fair. Even though you're you're giving kudos to someone who thinks I'm a major loser, but that's okay. We can rediscuss your contract for these podcasts shortly. But uh, the um, no, but I think you're right. And, you know, it leads to another point, which is the, uh, Trump. If Trump ends up, you know, energizing a lot of voters yeah. and uh, persuading them that the Republican Party more or less is a better vehicle for their concerns than the Democrats. And then if Trump doesn't get the nominee, but the nominee can express some of those themes and, I suppose, be cordial to Trump. And, and uh, that really is a big opportunity for the Republicans. I do think that's one reason when you look at the – I make this point in the editorial on the new issue. Uh, when you look at the, at the ballots, Hillary Clinton versus Rubio versus Cruz versus Christie, uh, they're doing much better at the end of this year than they were at the beginning. For all the talk about what a disastrous, difficult year it's been for Republicans, oh, my God, Trump and then Walker and Bush and all this chaos and the Democrats have had this nice coronation. It's a strict kind of you know, analytical matter. Just let's look at Hillary versus Christie, Hillary versus Rubio, Hillary versus Cruz in January 1st, 2015, and look at it in December 30th, 2015. The Republicans are doing much better. So I think Trump could end up being a benefit. It, it, it doesn't feel that way when you're in the middle of it and right. everyone's having a heart attack about Donald Trump and this and that, but uh, Trump could end up being a benefit to the Republicans. I agree with you on that. Your favorite story of 2015, Bill Crystal. I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. You're a Patriots fan, right? You probably like the flake gate and Belichick and Brady totally getting Love away it. with it. That Love was, it. That was, a, that was impressive, you know, just kind of, you know, raising it out there. I, I do admire Belichick. My favorite, I, my favorite story you tell me yours. of 2015 has been the Star Wars saga. And yeah. uh, this has been the largest community action of America that I can recall in 20 years, the fact that right now, if I told people key 
plot points, I would still be spoiling it. America came together and said Star Wars is this precious cultural gem. And in the era of Internet and Instagram and, you know, you can sit in the movie theater and film the movie with your camera. People have kept the secrets. They've self-policed. It's been amazing to watch people. Don't you dare do that to other people, you know, to your to your friends. Let them enjoy this movie. Let them enjoy this moment. It has really been a, a cultural phenomenon in the era of instant information that America has been, you know, getting each other's backs on on Star Wars. It's, I, I th- it's my it's my feel good story of 2015. No, I think that's. That's interesting, actually, and that's good. And I think my impression is that when Star Wars came out in the late 70s, I mean, George mm-hmm. Lucas himself is not a conservative, but I have a feeling, having lived through that in you know, my 20s, that um, it was kind of a precursor of the Reagan revival. It, right. was a, it was a kind of patriotic, you know, good guy, mm-hmm. bad guy kind of movie that was supposed to be the kind you couldn't do anymore. I wonder if the revival uh, in 2015, again, not intended, obviously, right. for that kind of reason, could end up being a precursor of something similar. Well, it is back to the notion that there is good and there is evil in the world, and that's always been a problem for our friends on the left. Uh, well, we know what the quote of the year is. Bill Crystal's a loser. But do you have any other <laughs> quotes, Bill? Yeah, that one so dominates major loser, please. I mean, that's really sorry, sorry. That I'm so embarrassed that I, can't even, that, I can't, that I can't walk down the street. I mean, that's got to dominate everything else, I think. My favorite quote of the year was when uh, President Obama told a uh, uh, New York Times reporter, and then the New York Times had to elite it, that the problem was he hadn't watched enough cable television to really yeah. understand people's response to international terrorism. And if you just needed a quote to summarize that disconnect between these elites and the horror, I mean, the, the horrors of his policies are evident. You don't have to be, you don't have to be, you know, on the MSNBC cycle 24 seven to see the horrors and his, what, what is the president's failure? My policy is absolutely right. No matter how many people ISIS kills, my ideology is absolutely right. No matter how badly Obamacare is sinking, everything is right. I just needed to sit down and watch what the peeps were watching. So I could understand those kind of dumb, bitter clingers out there and see what they were seeing on cable TV. And then, then maybe I could, uh, could solve this problem. That's no, it's, it's fantastically patronizing. I mean, as if, if you weren't watching cable news 24-7, then you wouldn't be upset about Sandberg. You know, you wouldn't wonder what it says about our some of our policies. Right. You wouldn't wonder if we're not winning the war on terror. I mean, it is kind of unbelievable that Obama said that. I agree with that. But that's, and, that, and that summarizes this this gulf. And, you know, the, and into that divide, Donald Trump wades. And I will be standing by him pointing out the other major losers as we move towards the White House in 2016. Uh, Bill uh, Crystal, thanks so much for uh, wrapping up the year. And I look forward to our first podcast of 2016 and your predictions coming up very soon here at weeklystandard.com. I'm your host, Michael Graham.